0: Here. Here's, an really Here's an easy one. Okay. <laughs> you know, a morning of light is sabah nur. So, dear listener, still with me, I just subjected you to my attempt at saying good morning in Moroccan Arabic with the help of my friend Aziz. Now listen to how Karen Gross does it.
1: Hello, Ya am mes
0: Karen, a native English speaker like me, is speaking in Icelandic.
1: And if you want that translated, that's the sentence that says, Hello, I'm honored and delighted to be here with you.
0: What both of us are doing, Karen more successfully than me, is speaking our buds of bilingualism in places we visit where English is not the first language and where we can't speak the language that is. What I call buds of bilingualism are not about fluency, they're about friendship, showing the people and countries we visit that we respect them and therefore their language by attempting to speak a few words. Thank you very much. In Moroccan Arabic. Yeah. Shukran bzaf. Shukran besef. I'm Steve Levine and you're listening to America the Bilingual, a podcast and a project that supports bilingualism in America. All free men, wherever they may live, are citizens of Berlin. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Berliner. That was President John F. Kennedy speaking on June 26, 1963, to the people of West Berlin. He visited after communist Russia literally split their city in two with a wall. With those four words in German, Kennedy delivered one of the most memorable buds of bilingualism in America's history. Kennedy did not speak German or any other language. So, we practiced those four words beforehand and had a native German speaker write them out phonetically to make sure he got it right.
1: I've often thought, well, why can't the rest of us be sufficiently culturally aware that at least we can greet people and speak to people? in a language that matters to them.
0: That's Karen Gross again. Unlike JFK, Karen does speak other languages, Spanish and French. Karen has been a law professor, the president of Southern Vermont College, and a senior policy advisor to the Department of Education. She started her own tradition of using buds of bilingualism whenever she spoke before a group.
1: I would give the introduction to any academic speech that I gave in the language of the nation that I was visiting. And that tradition served me really well because it was a way of signaling to people that I was open to their culture, open to their language, open to their ideas.
0: That went along just fine when Karen was visiting most countries.
1: Until I was invited to speak in Iceland. Iceland is a very, very small nation with a total population of 350,000 people and an immensely difficult language.
0: The U.S. Foreign Service Institute grades languages as to their difficulty for English speakers from 1 to 3, with 1 being the easiest. Icelandic is rated a 2, Arabic is rated a 3, which I think I may have already demonstrated with my attempts. Bishal, Bishal. How much? <laughs> That's a good one, right? Bishal. <laughs> okay. That could have been worse. I could have made you listen to the part where Aziz is trying to teach me how to say good afternoon. But let's get back to Karen. About to dive into Icelandic, she decided to call the Icelandic consulate in New York with the introduction she'd written and asked them, just as JFK had. If they could translate it phonetically into the language, how hard could that be? Her intro was just a paragraph.
1: And they returned three pages of typed transliteration. And that's when I realized, oh, I'm in, like, real trouble here. So I called them up and I said, okay, let's go for a couple of sentences so that at least they sound good enough that someone in Iceland would know that I had made a, a real effort to understand their language and to to speak it. And I practiced. Oh, did I practice? I mean, day and night.
0: Finally, it was time for Karen to deliver her speech. All the attendees put their earbuds in to hear the translated version of what Karen was going to say in English.
1: I started to speak in Icelandic and I could see the people, like, tapping on their earbuds, like, wait a second here. It seems to be something wrong. I must have, like, hit the wrong button here. I'm not getting this in the language I'm supposed to get it in. So after a minute, they kind of realized, oh, wait a second. She's actually speaking in Icelandic. It was the first time an American had come to their nation and made an effort to speak their language and that they had understood everything that I was trying to say. At the end of that, everybody in the audience stood up and applauded.
0: We'll next hear from Kat Cohen. She is the founder and CEO of Ivy Wise, an educational consulting firm. Kat has clients in 40 countries Her staff collectively speaks 11 languages. Kat herself is fluent in Spanish and French and also gets by in Italian and...
1: When I go down to Brazil, I can get by in Portuguese, which I usually do pretty well, especially after, you know, two days there.
0: Kat, too, is a practitioner of buds of bilingualism. It's something that I started to notice among most of the bilinguals I've interviewed they see the value of speaking even just a bit of the local language when they're in different countries. So when Kat goes to Turkey, for example...
1: If I say a few words in Turkish, all of a sudden, you know, I get a big smile from the person sitting across from me saying, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't know you knew that or understood that.
0: There's another reason Kat likes to speak these buds of bilingualism. They just might blossom into something bigger.
1: As far as other languages, I think just for my own personal travel, like learning a little bit of Turkish and learning some Arabic would be wonderful. Those are the other languages on my language bucket list that I don't know if I'm going to have time for, but <laughs> I would try to learn.
2: having spent time in France and having fluency in the language, I know what it's like to be a foreigner who doesn't speak the language. And I know how important it is from the other side or how the perception changes when you try to make that step and adapt to the culture and at least as much as you can to the language.
0: That's Doug Renfield Miller, a business executive who spent a high school year abroad in France, a program we covered in episode 14. Years later, his business took him to Japan.
2: I picked up enough words in Japanese to be very polite whenever I went to call on clients. My favorite one, just because I've got a mnemonic for it, is, God bless you, what do you say when somebody sneezes? And that's, odaijini. And I just think of it as, odaijini. So, odaijini.
0: Doug and an American competitor were often vying for the same business, But they approached it differently.
2: When you go into a Japanese client, the first thing they always do is they either serve tea or coffee. You don't have to drink it. It's just part of being a good host, welcoming my competitor. Whenever that would happen, he'd always say, can you get me a Diet Coke? And that is wrong in so many ways. First of all, they probably don't have Diet Coke. Second, you don't ask for something. (laughs) That's very rude. And third, it just showed him as you know completely alien and insensitive to the local culture.
0: Doug was exhibiting what language teachers call cultural competency. We might also call it cultural empathy. It's being sensitive enough to another culture to appreciate when it's different from our own.
2: When our Japanese partner would email me, he would never say, Hi, Doug, I'm writing you because I need blah, blah, blah. It would always be, dear Doug, the sun is shining here in Tokyo, something, something. It would always start off with something about the weather or something, nothing to do with business, something to just kind of break the ice. And I got in the habit of whenever I wrote an email back, I'd always respond similarly. It's just being tuned into things like that. People in other cultures appreciate if you can at least meet them partway.
0: Luc Tardif, a native of Quebec, is among those from another culture who appreciate it when native English speakers meet him partway in his native French.
1: When someone comes to this area, which is a French area, and they—I mean—they do even if they know only a few words, they say merci or they say bonjour and stuff like that. I'm actually super happy about it. I think okay. it's—I think it's nice listeners
0: to our podcast might remember Luke from episode 41 on the French Immersion Program at St. Anne's University in Nova Scotia. He demonstrated his own buds of bilingualism when he welcomed a delegation from China to campus. An interpreter was there to translate Luke's presentation into Mandarin, but first, Luke said a few words himself in Mandarin.
1: Bonjour, niman hao? Yes. <laughs>
0: Jim Rosenstein is an American businessman who speaks some French, Spanish, German, and Portuguese, but he doesn't speak Albanian. Even so, he found a way to use a bud of bilingualism on this side of the pond in New York City. Because in many parts of America, you don't even have to leave home to leave a bud. I go to a bank where one of the bankers there I talk to happens to come from Albania. Jim's talking about a bank in New York City. And I said, I asked her, how do you say thank you in Albanian, right? So I can tell you, I, I can say, faraminderit which means thank you in Albanian. And I love that, you know, learning words everywhere. Karen Gross, our friend who learned some buds of Icelandic, said that speaking a few sentences in the native language of her audience was what made her presentations memorable.
1: I've always thought it's probably the most important message I delivered, probably more important than the substance of what I spoke about. Speaking someone's language is a way of showing respect.
0: If you don't have an aziz as I did, or don't feel you can call the Icelandic consulate, as Karen did, there are other ways to become proficient in speaking some buds of bilingualism. Check out our episode notes for a few things that I've found helpful. And if there's only one bud of bilingualism you can offer, this bud's for you. So right, me for. So thank you. Uh, shuk- uh, Shukran. Shukran. The America the Bilingual podcast is part of the Lead with Languages campaign of ACTFUL, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. This episode was written by Mim Harrison, the editorial and brand director for the America the Bilingual project, and edited by Fernando Hernandez, who also does our sound design and mixing. Carolyn Doughty is our social media maven. Graphic Arts are by Carlos Plaza Design Studio. And Becky Rankin is associate producer of the podcast. Special thanks to author Gabriel Weiner for reminding us of the Foreign Service Institute's levels of difficulty in his marvelous book, Fluent Forever. Support for the America the Bilingual Project comes from the Levenger Foundation. Music in this episode, Quasi-Motion by Kevin McLeod was used with a creative commons attributions license our thanks to epidemic sound for helping us make beautiful music together if you like this episode please leave us a comment on facebook we'd love to hear from you for america the bilingual this is steve levine